Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. happy news to announce, and that's uh, our case, Mexican Gulf Fishing Company versus the United States Department of Commerce. Uh, the Fifth Circuit has come down with its opinion, and it has said that the track, the final rule tracking all the charter boat fishermen in the Gulf is unconstitutional, likely uh, under the Fourth Amendment, but they mainly said that there were huge violations of APA. And here's 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 the line that I I think covered uh, what they're about to do. It's the start of this. We conclude that in promulgating this regulation, the government committed multiple independent Administrative Procedure Act violations and very likely violated the Fourth Amendment. We are therefore compelled to hold unlawful and set aside the regulation, reverse the judgment of the district court, and render judgment for the appellants. Yay! So, yeah, exactly. Congratulations, so John. That's a big victory. That's it fantastic. Is. And, and this was a this was a class. So we have our named plaintiffs who uh, brought this case and have fought like tooth and nail all the way, but they were granted class certification. So it's for everybody who has a charter boat uh, license in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and uh, and this is over a thousand people that that you've helped yeah. here, John, with yes. with this this result. John argued this case uh, at the Fifth Circuit. And for anybody who wants to hear what a masterful oral argument sounds like, go go look up John's oral argument uh, in this case. It was uh, uh, you might think oral arguments boring or or but if you follow this program, you probably like law enough that uh, you're going to think this is a very entertaining. Uh, oral argument and and John uh, was encouraged by the judges to sort of play it up a little bit uh, because it was in front of was it the Texas A and M law school? Yeah, it was Texas A and M at Fort Worth, and it yeah. was at the law school there. And uh, she had told an early uh, Judge Elrod actually told uh, an earlier advocate, you know, why don't you explain the fact because it was about video games the previous argument, and she thought that the uh, the the law students would at least know about video games. <laughs> And, and so, you know, the, the, the previous argument wasn't quite as entertaining as I think they'd hoped when they selected it. So they thought, well, maybe maybe John's case, maybe he can entertain the audience. And it, if you know John, it doesn't take much to spur him to, uh, uh, to for the entertainer to come out. And, and he did a really wonderful job. But but John, I, I, in saying that, you also made all the legal arguments you wanted to make. So it wasn't that you were just playing to the crowd. I mean, you obviously reached the just the judges as well. So right. Kudos and kudos to you. They did. And this I'll just before I go into the opinion, I, I do want to note that there was a split. So it was Judge Richmond, uh, Chief Judge Elrod and Oldham and Chief Judge Richmond concurs in the judgment and joins part 2A1A, 2B1 and three of the majority opinion. So for some reason, she didn't join 1A, which is just describing what the act is and 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 who the. Uh, Oh, I guess she did. She did join it. Okay, I I see. I, yeah, no, she didn't join one, and I don't know why because it's very short and just says what the act is and what it does. 
I'm like, I can't figure out why she didn't join, but it doesn't matter one way or another. And um, Judge Oldham concurred, but he said, no, we should not rely on on um, we should not rely on Chevron. I'll get to that at the end at the in the next segment. But I, I do want to talk about this opinion because I think it's very important for just about every regulated entity to take a look at this. And there are certain uh, tools that the administrative state uses to get away with everything that have really been either blunted or removed in the Fifth Circuit by this opinion, Mark. And I, I want to point out exactly what was happened here. So the National Marine Fisheries Service and NOAA that are under commerce, that's why we sued them all, um, they proposed the regulation, which which did a couple of things. And I'll, I'll just highlight the ones that we most complained about and that were struck down. The whole rule was struck down, but th these this was what caused the case to be brought. First, you had to buy a VMS device. That's called, that's a, a, a vehicle monitoring system. Everyone else in the world would call it GPS, but of course the administrative agencies have to have another name. So um, I'll, I use GPS or VMS, but they had to buy this and then they had to have it broadcast their whereabouts at all times back to the government uh, every hour. And, um, and there was really no reason for it. And the court saw that because these charter boats, they're not always fishing. Sometimes they're touring and sometimes they're just going to their spot and they don't want their spot where they know where there's fish. This is like the big thing in the Gulf. Like every fisherman doesn't want other fishermen to know his spot. And I, I think that that's driving a lot of why people are so mad at this besides the Fourth Amendment warrant requirements and all the rest. Um, that's, I mean, if, and that's a if, trade secret of sorts, right? It is, I mean, it is. And I think it goes more than that. I mean, all these people who spend time on the sea or on the rivers of this country and who are fishermen are like, no, I don't want to tell people where it is. Anyway. Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's like part of the, part of the industry or part of the, part of the pastime, I think. Yeah. The local but, knowledge uh, too. Exactly. And that is, it is a trade secret and that is, that came back again and again. But the other thing is that you also had to tell them that so the agency did not say what they were going to ask you what other information they were going to ask you they said we will also ask for other socioeconomic information but when the rule came out the socioeconomic information was the following who's on your how many passengers you have on your boat what you charge them what you pay for gasoline um all these other trade secrets and things that the that the uh People were the, the charter boat fishermen were very uh, nervous about that. What are they going to use this for? Are they are they are they going to are my my competitors going to be able to see it? Is the IRS going to ch check my how many passengers I have and all this? Because um, they they were very nervous that these these documents would be misused. Um, but it wasn't in the notice for the rule. We were just talking about notice and comment. Nobody could figure out what the heck this other information was. And as the court pointed out, and we had argued, it's not socioeconomic data, it's straight economic data. It's not like, you know, how many women were on the boat or how many, uh, you know, uh, 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 bricklayers or there's nothing socioeconomic about it. So they struck that down as well. But I think how they did it is going to be useful um, in the future because the, um, the, uh, that reminds me of that. Of that uh, was it an insurance commercial where he says, uh, "Useful shot, useful." 
talking <laughs> about the about the golf. <laughs> exactly. And and so what what they were trying to say here that was at certain things, this the Magnuson Stevenson Act uses the terms um, necessary and appropriate. That they, the secretary shall ha- be able to make rules necessary and appropriate to um, to uh, serve the purposes of the act. And they always say, the agencies always say, Mark, that necessary and appropriate means anything goes. We are the judges of necessary and appropriate, not the courts and not right. anyone else. We get and, and under Chevron, we get wide difference under what's necessary and appropriate to serve the purposes of the Magnuson-Stevenson Act. Well, the Fifth Circuit was having none of it. They say necessary and appropriate is not a carte blanche. It's actually limiting because it has to be necessary and appropriate to something you're doing. And we can't figure out. And they asked, they asked the, um, the lawyer for, um, for the agencies at oral argument. They said, how does this tell you anything about fish? Because other parts of this say report your fish and they and, and we understand fish counting, but we don't right. understand that's happening how, already before yeah, this regulation. Yeah, uh, not before this regulation, but as another part of it, okay. like they, they talked about it. But but for charter boat fisher, this was new. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought they were already reporting their fishing. It just wasn't electronic reporting. They were. But when they came back to the dock or something, I thought they had paper reports. They no, were, you could be back. Charter boats had not been regulated in this way before. OK, OK. But but that they put it in and and uh, they'd had in other fisheries, they'd had log books and this sort of information had been done that way. But in any event, the key thing here. Is that um, they could not figure out how they could say it was necessary, appropriate to counting fish. And they say said so that that's that simply um, doesn't doesn't help you. And then the other thing is. The Magnuson-Stevenson Act says that they can require any equipment needed to enforce the Magnuson-Stevenson Act. And the Fifth Circuit said, oh, yeah, you can. But this isn't that kind of equipment because you haven't been able to tell us anything. This equipment, meaning the GPS device, does to defend the wildlife or the fish or or monitor or count anything. So um, it really that is is big. And I I do want to read. Um, when, so she, she, Judge Elrod did go to Chevron, did use it. Um, these, she used the textual arguments I just made that, it, well, you know, they don't mean that those words don't mean what you think they mean, but she also used, uh, Chevron and, and well, the logic, the logically antecedent question is whether the Magnuson Stevenson Act authorized NOAA and all the other, uh, agencies to issue the GPS tracking requirement. And uh, this quote, this question invokes the analytical framework set forth in Chevron. And I won't go through the whole site. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, And then she says the familiar framework proceeds in two steps. Step one, we ask whether Congress has directly spoken to the precise question at issue, in which case we must give effect to the unambiguously expressed intent of Congress and reverse an agency's interpretation that fails to conform to the statutory text. And then I'll go, and then the other one is, um, if the statute is silent or ambiguous as to the specific issue, we proceed to step two and ask whether the agency's answer is based on a permissible construction of the statute. So she uses the Chevron um, uh, paradigm here, but I do 
But we'll get we'll get to Chevron in the next thing. Welcome back to Administrative Static. And I was just getting to the Chevron uh, footnote, which I think all of our listeners will enjoy, um, which it touched. So um, as there's a big fight over Chevron and we're on one side of it, we want it gone. And many of the federal judiciary have pointed out this same problem, including um, Judge Oldham in this, in this opinion. But here's what she says about Oldham's concurring opinion. The concurring opinion would jettison the Chevron framework and simply apply the traditional tools of statutory construction to analyze the issues presented. Indeed, the opinion conjures up Chevron as, quote, the Lord Voldemort of administrative law, unquote. He says, to be sure, Chevron has been something of the precedent who must not be named, all hyphens before it, just like left unmentioned by the Supreme Court in two recent decisions addressing the reasonableness of agency action. And we know what those are. It's it's American Hospital Association for Becerra and the other Becerra versus Empire Health, which uh, we've discussed on this program. We thought we darn well thought they'd mentioned Chevron. And we recognize that the concurring judge and many other distinguished jurors, as well as some less distinguished, see Cardinal v. Garland. That's Judge Elrod's own opinion. So she is she is uh, she is uh, poking a little fun uh, at the distinguished uh, jurist trope have questioned Chevron's consistency with our duty to say what the law is. But lest we not forget, quote, fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. Quote. And the cite for that is J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 1998. We therefore name Chevron and apply its precedent until and unless it's overruled by our highest court. So, um, so the first thing she takes on is equipment, and I've already talked about that. And uh, the next thing is um, she goes on to the necessary appropriate, and I already talked about that. And I really, for all practitioners out there, what they say about necessary appropriate on page 10 and 11 of this is going to come in useful because so many statutes use this language. And there has been so, so much commentary on necessary and appropriate, necessary or appropriate, it's a big issue, and I think this comes out very well for those who don't want the agencies running roughshod over um, either procedure or over their their powers that have been given by Congress. Um, and and this is the thing that really um, she hit on. In opposition to the costs, and this is another thing, she says that, that part of the analysis has to be um, that the benefits exceed the costs. Start with the costs. And she notes the final rule costs people 3000 plus 40 to 75 months in service fees. And she notes that the charter boat owners don't make a lot of net income. Um, and there's a massive privacy cost imposed in the Fourth Amendment area. Their government's following you around. 
And then she says, what benefits does the government point to in response? Next to nothing. It, ex it says that uh, National Marine Fishery Service is charged with conservation and management of national fisheries, which is always true. Uh, but the government fails to connect the GPS tracking requirement with any legitimate conservation purpose. By the government's own telling, the only other purpose served by the requirement is to verify whether a vessel is at the dock and determine when a fishing trip was taken and the length of the trip. Now, if the, if she says if, if the inordinate costs might be necessary if the government truly needed it, but the government already has this information from the other parts of the statute. Indeed, at oral argument, counsel for the government denied any awareness of inaccuracies in charter boat owners reporting of the same information in accordance with pre-existing reporting requirements. Um, uh, as a result, the government has failed to show that the GPS tracking requirement is necessary and appropriate for the conservation and management of the fishery. Um, and then she goes on about it's more than financial costs. It requires analysis of the cost of constitutionally protected privacy interests. And then she goes on about the APA is that, look, um, you didn't you didn't answer any of the questions about the Constitution. And she she said that just because the commentators asked about the Fourth Circuit, uh, I mean, the, the Fourth Amendment, uh, that they didn't they just said this was a privacy concern and not a warrant concern. And she called that statement that borders on the incredible. Um, so they've construed the statute to avoid the constitutional problem, meaning they're not going to get to the constitutional issue because they'll just construe this the statute as not allowing this sort of thing under these circumstances. Um, and they also reject that charter boat fishing, and this is another important finding, uh, holding of this case, charter boat fishing is not a closely regulated industry. And that exception has allowed courts to get around the warrant requirements and get around the Fourth Amendment because there are four cases out of the Supreme Court that say that liquor sales, firearms dealing, mining, and operation of automobile junkyards uh, have been closely regulated forever. And, um, and, and so they, they have a lower expectation of privacy. But she says commercial fishing hasn't been determined that. We don't determine that commercial fishing is that at all. But certainly we know for sure that charter boat fishing is not. They didn't even regulate it till the 90s. So I really believe that, uh, that this is going to be important because the expansion of closely regulated industry theory uh, is a huge, huge uh, danger to liberties for everybody. Uh, because as, as society grows and regulation becomes more uh, popular, what she's signaling is that doesn't mean it's closely regulated just because you've got to get a license or you have to, you know, they make rules about where you can go uh, fish or anything like that. That doesn't make you closely regulated. The one, uh, the one item that we did not win, the one argument we did not win in this case um, really is the, we felt that the case of Patel, which is a Supreme Court case, had... Um, made the uh, requirement for closely regulated that you also had to show it was dangerous because all the other closely regulated industries are dangerous. And she said, nah, I'm not adding that. We're not adding to that. Um, she actually says, and I, I, gotta, I gotta point out the bad with the good. We now hold the government has the better reading of Patel. Uh, 
So uh, I'm sure uh, my colleague on the other side of the V uh, will be happy about that. Uh, I am hoping to get that in the future the Supreme Court will uh, will address this and will find dangerousness as a as an aspect of this. Um, and so uh, so and then she says it's charter boat fishing. You got to look at the industry very closely with what you're talking about. So I, I think that also will have huge, um, huge uh, benefits for litigators in the, in the future. Um, and I'm going to quickly move to um, the concurrence um, because she has found that, you know, they found that it was arbitrary and capricious, this, this whole rule. And uh, this is the assertion that the government failed to identify this particular concern, meaning Fourth Amendment concern from the public con comments borders on the incredible. When a judge says that, they're about to tell you it was arbitrary and capricious. And, uh, and also because of the costs. They didn't justify the costs, and so that, too, makes it arbitrary and capricious. And so, I, you know, uh, just a big win all around. Um, and, uh, and then she found what I mentioned before, that there wasn't fair notice of the other things they were going to track uh, as far as what you turned in. But I want to turn very quickly to Judge Oldham's uh, concurrence, because he says, I join the court except as to invocation of Chevron. That's for two reasons. First, Supreme Court has directed to us to use the traditional tools of statutory interpretation in lieu of Chevron. And that's what he says, Chevron, uh, uh, that's what he says American Hospital Association v. Becerra stands for. So he's saying use statutory tools before Chevron instead of the two-step process, which is good. Uh, in two cases just last term, both in, of which directly implicated Chevron and the reasonableness bell nom of an agency's statutory interpretation, uh, the court did not even cite the case. Second, it's unclear how, quote, the Lord Voldemort of administrative law comports with our legal history and tradition. And he's citing uh, Timkovich, uh, who, who dissented a Tenth Circuit case with that famous line. And and so, um, and, he, and he cites dissents by Thomas and uh, an article at the Yale Law Journal. Accordingly, I use the Supreme Court's instruction and traditional tools of statutory interpretation to hold the GPS tracking requirement violates the Magnuson-Stevenson Act. So uh, this is a big win all across the board. It has a lot of nuggets in it for practitioners and for people who care about liberty. Um, and I want to uh, just uh, I want to thank that we we had um, Amicus support in this case, um, and and Amicus pointed out many of the points that were won here, particularly about the Fourth Amendment. And one uh, of our, our uh, friends of the court who were uh, also friendly to our position has um, petitioned the Supreme Court in their case, and that's the Loper-Bright case, which is about, like our relentless case, putting um, monitors on boats, who pays for it. So there's a lot of good language in here for that case. And uh, I, I hope it will be, I think there's a reply brief up, I hope it will be cited in the reply brief uh, because they have petitioned the Supreme Court and the government has opposed it. And the government has opposed it, as I said last week on the, uh, uh, on the topic, by saying, oh, uh, Chevron's great and uh, you don't need Chevron. So all of these uh, issues and the Magnuson-Stevenson Act are all um, 
clashing together, if you will, all the way up to the Supreme Court. And, and as we see in this case, whether or not Chevron is alive and how alive it is, some judges like uh, Judge Oldham are actually, he doesn't, he doesn't think it has a lot of vitality. He, 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 I think he, he basically thinks that it, it only has vitality if the statutory tools don't work. And I think his position would be they're always going to work. And, and that would be a good outcome as well. But of course, the best outcome of all is uh, to get rid of Chevron. So big win. Um, we're very happy. I don't think the government will, will petition the Supreme Court or do anything about it. I think it's kind of uh, done deal. But we will see and we'll let you know. See you next week.